Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Mr. Jerry Springer. Thank you. Whoa! Whoa! Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, now, please take your seats. Everybody, take your seats, please. Oh, man. Okay, can we bring in some extra chairs in the back there? Okay. We have a huge crowd here tonight. Yeah. They, uh, we we have a huge crowd, yeah. but we don't, again, it seems like it's been, I don't know, eight months since Megan Hills <laughs> has been here in, in studio, in coffee shop, Me, as we say. Well, she was that woman that used yeah. to sit at the table with us? Yes. Oh, stop. Oh, I remember her. I think when she started with us, she was in her early 30s. 30s. I yeah. think she's like 48, 49 now or something. I haven't oh seen her. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, Megan, uh, let's address the... Hi, Yeah, how are you? Uh, Good. Let's address, it's a metaphor, the elephant in the room. Uh, you have any way to introduce her? No, she's not in the room. That would be, let's address the Jeez. elephant. <laughs> That, that would be. Let's Jerry. address the elephant in the room. Megan, nice to have you no, no. with us. No, Jerry, that Thanks, would be. Jerry, I more. That. Jerry, that would be. Let's address the elephant that's not in the room. Not and in that's the room. not what I said. Yeah. Okay. So, if a, it's a metaphor, and b, yes. it's not yes. a parallel anyway yes. way to what you're saying. Megan, uh, yeah, okay. We, yes, we know you. That you have a job. You have a serious job, and you are an H uh, human resources trainer. You try. By the way, Jerry, do you know where she is? Tell Jerry, Megan, right now where you are this minute. I am in Sarasota, Florida. What? Which is where Jerry <laughs> lives. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I am hey, literally back away. Yeah, the step back, back off. Megan. Yeah. She, I'll, give you, I'll give you the address. I'm going to give you, you the gonna, code to the gate. Are you going to go by the pink house? Yeah. <laughs> he lives in a <laughs> I gated. am across the street from your airport, Jerry. Braden, Bradenton Airport. I'm across it, the street. You were there this morning, weren't you? Uh, yeah, you I, flew, from, I flew out this morning. Well, Megan was there. Well, oh, my. In the air, so thanks she, for saying hi, Jerry. Because she slept there last night because yeah. her company didn't have enough money for a room. So she slept at yeah. the airport. But uh, <laughs> well, Mickey had me sleep at the airport I last night too. But uh, for other reasons, we must have been in different terminals. Different yeah. reasons. Different reasons. Uh, yes, we know you have a house payment and a car payment and all that stuff. But can't you straighten out your priorities and and quit this any day job and come work on this podcast? Seventeen bucks well, an hour is pretty good dough. Pretty solid, especially for an hour and a half a week. Yeah. It's yeah. really very lucrative. Yeah. And then you just have to be here one one evening a week. The other evening she can do that other yeah, whatever do, that yeah, job do that other is. Stuff, yeah. Whatever it is that you whatever it is that you need to do to pay your bills. Right. <laughs> oh, well, so. we're going to we we're looking at two options. One is having a friend of ours, I'm not going to give his last name, his first name is Lewis, <laughs> just pay you for the year, even though I know you're not much work if you only work on the podcast an hour a week, and then we got the problem solved. Um, or I'm, real, Gene, I'm down with that. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you, sister, as they say. But I'll tell you, Megan, the other option is we just change the entire schedule of the podcast around your schedule. I'm also okay with that. Okay. We'll get back to you. 
Yeah, we could do that. Or, you know, if you're low on money, why don't you just sell your plane? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Right. Oh. I don't have one, you big well, jerk. Well, Megan, that's, that's, that's a segue. That brings a segue, and you can drop off at any point. You, do you want to hang up now, or do you want to stay with us? You can do whatever you want. Though, when we hear the click, we'll note it. Oh, Megan just bailed <laughs> on us. Yeah. <clears throat> Jerry. Yes. You, and this is good because our mutual friend, Lewis, no last name. No here, last name. No references to any companies. <laughs> our friend, Lewis, is in the house. Yeah. He knows airplanes. He knows He it. flies airplanes. Been flying since he was a God young bless boy. bless him. He was the one that talked me into getting a plane. All right. So uh, I want, I, I, I was thinking, man, why don't we use the tools that we have to help you sell your plane? Because you're slowing down a little bit in terms of your professional stuff. And you're like, yeah. well, I, I don't need this plane. I'm Had to hear it was right there. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, it. She just left. Yeah. She's like, uh, boring. Yeah. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. At least okay. she didn't leave, leave during my joke, but go so ahead. So you had a plane. You have a plane. I have a plane, and I'm... It's a freaking golf stream. Yeah. But... You told me before the show started, it's going to fetch something like $1,800,000 to $2,000, something like that. No. Is that correct? No, higher. No, the 1.8, I said, not 1000 Well, what is it? 1.8 what? It, it goes in the air, a million. What? Well, the, the things point, that go in the air. One point eight million dollars for for a plane. Some uh, planes are, you know, big planes are you, you know, way more. I understand. So I'm I'm, I'm putting it up for. And, and by the way, if you're listening to this podcast and you'd like to buy a plane, yeah, this is what I want to do. Yeah. I want to try to hustle it for you. Yeah, let's see if we can get one point eight two million for the plane. All right, so we're gonna put it. And on. you can put a little sign on. Jerry owned this. Okay, so we're going to put that on our website, jerryspringer.com. Oh, yeah. We're going to put an ad on the website. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm, your, I'm your friend. I've been your yeah. friend for many years. And this is, by the way, the demographic for our audience. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> That's the point. Who listens to this podcast That's that isn't looking point. to buy a plane? Going to have a personal conversation with Harold Tucker after the show about maybe had. buying the plane. Uh, I might even talk. We have a new employee, Bree Long, who is doing our social media. Let's hear it from yeah, Bree hey. Long. Oh, and she's definitely hey, in the market. Well, she's a, a student. student. She's a student she's at the University plane. of Cincinnati. They call it DAP, Design, Art, Architecture, and Planning. Do I yeah. have that right, Bree? Yeah. So she's. Uh, I actually, yeah, I, I speak at some of their classes there. Yeah, actually, a, by yeah. the way, it's an elite. Uh, program, elite well, university program there, in the country. Yeah, it's a good school. So anyway, yeah. uh, we're going to put it on our website. Yes. We're going to have a picture. Oh, it's going to be unbelievable. And the only picture I have, now this is going to blow the bet. I've claimed all these years I've never been on the plane. And I've had people say, yeah. what kind of prick is he? I mean, you're an old friend. Yeah. <laughs> Can't you get a ride on the plane? And how do you answer that? <laughs> <laughs> but the fact how is, I have, the I have a picture of you yeah. and me and uh, Lewis. Standing Again, in front no of No last plane. name on Lewis. Yeah. No reference of any company. But Lewis and his lovely wife, Patty. So I'm going <laughs> to... So I'm going to have, and you and Mickey, so I'm going to put a picture up there of that plane, and yeah. I'll. but I'm going to sort of gray out the faces <laughs> you know so that's yeah. going to be on the ad we're yeah. going to put this on the website yeah. i'm putting it on craigslist but i'm putting it on craigslist cincinnati columbus uh dayton and indianapolis 
and I'm putting it on Cincinnati Marketplace where you could sell bicycles and generators and stuff, and then yeah. we'll put Jerry that's, Springer's that's, airplane there. That's the audience we're looking for. <laughs> yeah, we are. Trust me, dude, we are going to hustle this. This will be good. Plan. Yeah, because, you know, at, I could use the money. Yeah, I, I know you could. Uh, Whispering Beard Folk Festival is oh, coming up. Yes, that's a great festival. In fact, our very first year of doing the show, we had just been doing it a couple of months. We went to that. We did. Had a great time. We did. I get, got up there and gave a real plug for our podcast. Well, your task was, your task was to go up and introduce the Tillers. The Tillers yeah. are the huge uh, group regionally yes. around here, even nationally, and to introduce them. And your only mission for us was go up and promote the podcast. Did a great job introducing the Tillers, came off. Hey, how'd I do? Well, you did great, but there was no mention of the podcast. I totally forgot, didn't I? Yeah, you totally screwed it yeah. up. So the uh, Whispering Bird Folk Festival is coming up August, is it 23rd, Catfish? Do I have that right? Right? Uh, oh, the weekend, that's Charlevoix. Well, see, and we can't, we can't go, go because no. we're going to Charlevoix. And you're going to be playing there in front of that store. And I will be busking on the streets in Charlevoix. Uh, but no, we have to go do this sort of a great Gatsby kind of thing to go to Charlevoix and um, Look forward every be year. out on the beach with big white tents and stuff. Uh, I wanted to ask you something. The, um, th there seems to be almost... Oh, and by the way, before I draw you in this, pardon me. Yes. Sorry for the quick disruption. But we have Tim Lancaster coming up. And let me tell you who he is. You'll want to stick around for this because uh, Tim Lancaster is from Huntington, West Virginia. Yep. And he uh, just returned from being an artist in residence at Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. Wow. And Harper's Ferry is an incredibly important historical place because John Brown yep. virtually had a, a standoff with the military back uh, in the time of Abraham Lincoln, by the way. Yep. He's an abolitionist. Yep. And the Appalachian Trail comes through there, and there's just a lot of history there. So he's going to perform a song that he wrote as an artist in residence in Harper's Ferry. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, there seems to be almost a controversy a week with uh, President Donald Trump. And it's like the beat goes on. And there have been so many of late that it's hard to enumerate them. But is there one that stands out in your mind as we do this recording on, what, 31st of July 2018? Yeah. Well, there's almost a controversy every single day. But I was just thinking, when you said uh, President Donald Trump, um, years ago when I was still doing the news, I had an opportunity actually to interview him. And, wow. you know, and just, you know, so one of the early questions I just threw in there just to get a warm up, I, I, I said, it's Donald J. Trump, what's the J stand for? And he said, genius. <laughs> <laughs> it's not bad. That's new material. Yeah. Hey, stick around for the next yeah. show. Yeah. Joe kind of sucks, but at least yeah. that's new yeah. material. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what is that? Jay's for genius. Um, yeah, every day. And there are two questions 
and if you watch all these shows, you know, all the cable news shows and just everything now, everyone, there's always the question, which issue or which scandal or which controversy that he's involved in is the most important one, which is the one that could take him down. And I think the one that could take him down is not necessarily the one that is most important for the country. So, for example, you know, you can argue, if you're making an argument against Trump, you can say, you know, he's a bigot, he's incompetent, he's dumb, he's a bully. He's, uh, but for all of these problems, and, you know, even when he thinks he's above the law, when he breaks the law, the banking laws or whatever, I'm not saying those aren't big issues. And that's, you know, important. You can't have a president who's a crook, for example. But for all of those issues... The truth is, even though it makes us angry, the country could survive it. I mean, even if he has banking crimes, for example, the country could survive that. If there's something that he needs to be indicted for, for things that he's done, even if the courts rule or Mueller decides you don't indict a sitting president, you know, they'll wait till he's no longer the president, whether it's in 2020 or four years later or whenever it happens, and they'll indict him then. So, but those issues don't threaten the country other than we go through a bad period and maybe make some bad decisions. But we have institutions that can deal with all of that. The thing which we get tired of hearing all the time, but is the most serious to our nation, is all this business with the Russians. The fact that he is owned by the Russians, that he is owned by Putin. Now, I know that sounds kind of extreme to say, but it defies belief anymore to believe that they don't have something on him. You, can, you can't come up with another explanation for why he's behaving towards Russia and towards Putin as he is. There's just nothing else that makes any sense, particularly since if, he, if the Russians don't have anything on him and he's such an egomaniac and he wants to look good, why wouldn't he say, yeah, let's get to the bottom of this right away? Why would they keep lying about meetings? Why would they keep making these excuses all the time? Why would he not want to say anything bad about Russia? It wouldn't hurt him personally. So... There's something there, and at some level, even those who love Trump must know at some level, particularly when they saw uh, you know, him meeting with Putin two weeks ago at that summit that wasn't one, and they had that two-hour meeting with no media there, no, one, no other person in the room, never mind, uh, you know, never mind there wasn't the media there to cover it, but no government official there, just the interpreter. And so there's something, they got something on him. That is God's truth. There's no other explanation. And we never heard anyone give an answer to that question. With all the other talking heads you have, you've never heard anybody say, why is he always making excuses for Russia? 
Well, the reality is that for the past hundred years, because we've just been through the centennial of the uh, communist revolution in 1917, for the past hundred years, this has been a method of first the Soviet Union and since then Russia. It's how they operate. It's how they don't want to go to if at all possible, to a shooting war. They realize in this nuclear age what the consequence of that is. So their way to meet their goals, which remember is the whole history of Russia for centuries has been they need to expand. They don't want to be surrounded. They need those warm water ports. They've got to destabilize any entity that stops them from expanding That's the goal of Russia. And since they can't start a military war against the rest of the world, what they do, probably more effectively than any nation in the world, is they infiltrate. And the United States has been a victim of that since Stalin, after World War II. The, 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 the whole issue with um, the McCarthy era. How do you think Nixon... Um, came into prominence because he investigated when he was on the House American Act, Un-American Activities Committee, this fellow Alger Hiss, who was a hero of the left, who was instrumental in bringing about the United Nations. And the, there were, Nixon claimed that Alger Hiss was, who was with the State Department, a high official in the State Department, that Alger Hiss was really a communist working for the Soviet Union. He was a spy. And nobody believed that, and in truth, Nixon turned out to be correct. And that's how he became, as a congressman, so famous, and then was picked by Eisenhower to be the uh, vice president. So Russia was doing it then, and as I said, with the McCarthy era. Russia, the Soviet Union and then Russia has always been trying to infiltrate the United States and how they do it. And then we can relate it to Trump. How they do it, as we've mentioned a couple of times before, is they are always on the lookout for certain kinds of people in America, not knowing ahead of time which one of them will become move into an area of prominence. So they look for people that could be influential in either the economic era, uh, area of the United States or the cultural, they could become cultural figures in America, political figures, people that rise to influence. Once they, rise, once they spot these people and they see some of them out of the hundreds or thousands they go after, if they see some rising to the top, then they move in to try to turn them. Now, how do they turn them? There's a very specific way they do it. Remember the word, the acronym MICE. M for money, I for ideology, C for um, compromise or coercion. They have the person compromised, and E for ego. They look for people that fall into those four categories. The single most common reason 
for somebody to become a spy, for somebody within a nation to turn against that nation, is not ideology, it's money. Someone is in financial need. Somebody is suddenly in a crisis. They know that, start out being very friendly to that person, we can help you out with a little money. They don't mention any spy work. They don't mention what they want them to do. They just see someone who is vulnerable because of a financial condition, and then they befriend this person, maybe help them get a job, maybe, in Trump's case, buy some property, and then all of a sudden they kind of reel them in. Then they try to make the person not feel guilty about it. So then we get to the I, the ideology. I'm going to show you how these things worked with Trump. They first noticed Trump when he started making trips to the communist world in 1977. He went to what was then Czechoslovakia, which was within the Soviet sphere, of course, communist country. And their secret police or whatever, and he went there because his first wife, Ivana, was from Czechoslovakia, and they went there to visit her mother or father, but anyway, went there to visit, and he would start making trips there. So they just started to have a file on him, as they do with wealthy people that go there. Now we're into the 1980s. He starts making a whole bunch of trips to the Soviet Union, and the communist countries all shared their files. They said, well, this guy's wealthy. Let's start keeping a file on him. And so they did when he visited Russia in 1988. One of the people they got to befriend Trump just to see, you know, what's going on. They don't know yet that this is the guy they want to stay with, but they want for the file to have something on him. And he mentions then in 1988, he says, you know, I'm thinking one day it'd be great to be president. Just like a passing comment like that. And into the file it goes. It's a, red, it's a red flag. Now let's start watching him. In 2013, he has the um, Miss Universe pageant in Russia. And what Trump wants, he would love to have Trump Tower in Moscow. That is one of his, he really wants that to happen. And he wants to use the um, Miss Universe pageant as a means of getting to actually meet Trump, uh, uh, excuse me, meet Putin in person and meet the oligarchs there. What they do in 2013 is they arrange for the 12 richest Russians, the oligarchs, the friends of Putin, that run the oil industry and whatever the major, the 12 wealthiest people in Russia, they have a two-hour meeting with Trump. And it's just a friendly meeting. And in that meeting, they try to sell him just on the notion, we want you to understand Russia. They're not talking politics. They're not saying if you ever run. We are. They're just saying, we want you to understand, you know, there's a club around the world of kind of like, we don't want to be restrained by democratic institutions. We don't want to be restrained by alliances. We like doing our business where we don't have those restraints on us. And so they start selling this idea to him. And of course, he's not, they know this is right up his alley. He doesn't want all the restraints, you know, the governments put on him. 
And so we, we're just, we want to develop relationships. And we, like you, the United States, we are scared of the terrorists because we have faced in the southern border of what used to be the Soviet Union and is now Russia, they have had um, the attacks by terrorists uh, and the Muslims as well, and they want to blame the Muslims. And so they said, look, we're in the same boat. So if we could just, wouldn't it be great if the world could basically have those of us who are wealthy and successful, this is the pitch they're giving Trump. And so not even talking politics, Trump is thinking, wow, I can relate to these guys, which all of a sudden is the second thing you got to do. There'll be guilt if it's a flat out, here's money, now do what we say. And well, I kind of agree with these people. This is an easy thing to do. Then, and I'll make this, I'll round it out quicker. In they, with all these people, you are constantly, once they target you, you are constantly under surveillance. Cameras in the rooms, you're being, you talk to people who are wired, hidden mics, everything. So even Trump at one point said, you think I'd be crazy enough to do anything knowing that they, they, if you go to Russia, if you go to the Soviet Union and you're on their list, by gosh, everything you've ever said or done, there's a picture of it, there's a soundtrack of it, that's how they, and they just very subtly let you know, well, you know, they don't threaten, they just let the guy know, they let Trump know, we have this. And then finally, you appeal to the person's ego, that's the E of mice, and you appeal to the person's ego, which of course is outrageous with Trump. And you could be one of the, all us rich guys, we, you know, around the world, you'll, we'll be taught, why do you think he likes all these authoritarian figures? In other words, Trump didn't start all this. He is just, in the whole history of what was the Soviet Union and now Russia, he is the biggest fish they ever nabbed. They've never, with all the people they turn in our country, and they turn people, they've got a spy network. A lot of countries do. We have, I'm sure. But for all the people they turn, they've never had a president of the United States as one of their guys. So you don't even have to reach the conclusion that Trump was sitting at home and saying, how can I destroy America? They just suck you in. And the greatest fear is not the banking stuff. That may be a, one of the ways they can prove it. And it's not the women. And it's not all this other stuff, which may be him thinking he's above the law, and it may be criminal activity, and he has to pay a price for it. I get it. But the threat to America is that we have a president, seemingly unthinkable, but we actually have a president of the United States who is under the control at some level of the head of Russia, Vladimir Putin. That's one dark analysis. I like that. Uh, let's bring Tim Lancaster up from Huntington, West Virginia. 
And as Tim uh, settles into a chair at the microphone, uh, welcome, Tim. Good to be Glad here. Glad to Thanks have you. And, uh, and are you now or have you ever <laughs> been a communist? No. Not once, Jerry. Not once. <laughs> yeah, not once. But yeah. <laughs> there was a yeah. time I experimented a yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah, just experiment. Tim, uh, what took you to... Um, uh, Harper's Ferry, West Virginia, I referenced that earlier, that you were an artist in residence there. How did you even find out about that, by the way? Well, my uh, friend Ian Thornton told me about the position being available, and I applied for it like you would any other job. Okay. And you were there for how long? Nine weeks. And let me clarify, this was in 2016. So gotcha. So two years ago. Okay. That's, that's fine. Um, and uh, we're going to ask you about your album in a second, but you sure. have a song that you wrote based on the experience at Harper's Ferry, is that correct? Correct, uh, yeah. That you're going to do? Yeah. Just to give a quick reference to Harper's Ferry, John Brown from Kansas ended up, after gathering some, he was an abolitionist during uh, the Civil War era, during, during the era of slavery, and he gathered up some fellow abolitionists. Uh, and it's hard, Jerry and Tim, as you look back on that period, there are bound to have been a lot of people, and maybe we would have been among them, who would say, I don't care what year it is or what context, uh, cultural or historic context we're in, slavery is just repugnant, just guaranteed 100%. There's no way to look at it any other way than to say this must stop. John Brown held that position and said that it is a war against African-American people and so we have to treat it as a war. And he said, uh, bloodshed is, uh, they're shedding blood. Their blood is being shed. And that is how he morally grappled with it. Correct. And even Abraham Lincoln, who probably looked at it and said, oh my God, if we go there, oh, it's gonna be real crazy if we go there. And Lincoln argued that we can't go there. And I imagine in his quiet moments said, we'll fix it another way, and ultimately he did. But uh, so John Brown ended up in Harper's Ferry and an, uh, an armament shed, so to speak. Is that correct? Tim? Yeah, it's the, um, the firehouse. Yeah. And in there that was armament for. Correct. Yeah. The Harper's Ferry was the largest armory for, in the country, yep. which is why he wanted to raid it ultimately. And he got in there and then the uprising that John Brown hoped would happen of people joining him actually didn't right some people you got know, unsuspected things occurred yep yeah. and uh there was a shootout and eventually he was hanged where he was hanged he was, yeah he's hanged in charlestown in west charlestown virginia. west virginia right and it wasn't really west virginia at the time yet this was still before west virginia yeah so your time there, you looked into all of this stuff and wrote some songs. And I yeah, know the song you're going to do tonight is not necessarily about John Brown. There's so much going on in Right, yeah, in that I wanted area. to cover a lot of different things. I didn't want to, I wanted to try, because it would have been easy to just talk about the Civil War the entire right. time. But So I wanted to expose other parts of So Parker's tell us, and, and then please perform it, but sure. what is the song you're going to do? And give us a quick uh, background on that. Yeah, the song's called Can't You Hear the Sound. It's about a town called Virginia's Island which was about 200 people, if I can remember right. Okay. A small industrious town. And it had these two tunnels that navigated the water from the Shenandoah River beneath it to power these two giant turbines, which powered a lot of the industry in that town. Okay. But um, 
since the town was so close to the river, it got flooded three times before people eventually left it. But those um, the remains of that town and the foundations are still there. All right. Uh, if you would do that song, we'd love to hear it. All right. Tim Lancaster. And if you're just listening, this instrument is called the bones. Shannon does a mighty strong river. She was named by the natives as a daughter of the stars. When a man thought he could harness her power just to keep his engine running, he didn't think about the cost. You can dig down all your tunnels, build up all your walls, but there's always here a lesson to be learned. When mother comes calling, you can bet there is no stalling when she asks for you to sit and wait your turn. And can't hear the sound of the river. Mom, it's flooding through the floor And the crash outside of the cotton mill Is louder than the house that are begging at the door And you know it's gonna rock you through the ages When you try to reach a higher ground You think the very same thing that gave you power Is the thing that's gonna tear you down And the river keeps on rushing through the Blue Ridge Without a hesitation or a doubt Are you sure that you knew what you meant when You thought that you could figure it out? All that is born returns to the earth And that's a circle that we never can refuse Just grab yourself a pole and carry on with your fishing But just listen when it's time to pay your dues And can't you hear the sound of the river Mom, it's a flooding through the floor And the crash outside of the cotton mills Louder than the house that are begging at the door And you know it's gonna rock you through the ages When you try to reach the higher ground To think the very same thing that gave you power Is the thing that's gonna tear you down Uh-huh And can't you hear the sound of the river? Mom, it's flooding through the floor. And the crash outside of the cotton mills louder than the owls that are begging at the door. And you know it's gonna rock you through the ages when you try to reach the higher ground. The thing, the very same thing that gave you power is the thing that's gonna tear you down. Yeah. I didn't see that coming. No, that, that is very good. <laughs> that, <clears throat> boy, I tell you, Tim, the, these artists and residencies that occur, we had a woman, uh, Michaela Miller, who did one at Gettysburg. Yeah. And she's been on our podcast okay. and did some songs. Yeah, good to know. Now you from uh, Harper's Ferry. Yeah, and they're it, doing all over amazing. national parks. Uh, it's a lot of wonderful. Parks and we're so glad that we uh, got you, and thanks to Casey Campbell, who I know, uh, who is our music coordinator and a singer-songwriter himself. So uh, 
God, we, we would be happy to have artists and residents at these national parks come through here on a flow because the art is just so good. Don't you agree, agree Jerry? This is really cool this, stuff. I mean, yeah. You know, you keep thinking, well, we're going to have a guy playing the guitar and, you know, we'll all well, sing along. But this, <clears throat> this is at such a different level. For those who are listening, and, and you said what you were playing there are, are bones. Yeah, my left hand was moose bones that I found when I worked in a trail crew up in... Moose bones? Moose bones, yeah. yeah I found those yeah. on Deer Mountain in uh, Pittsburgh, New Hampshire. Yeah. And you uh, were on a trail crew up there? I was, yeah. And by the way, the uh, Harper's Ferry... Why would Ferry... moose bones be on <clears throat> Deer Mountain? <laughs> it should be moose, man, right? Moose live out in the woods. Get some deer bones for yeah. God's sake. Hey, by the way, uh, Harper's Ferry is what's called the mental middle, as you referred to in our conversation before the show of the Appalachian Trail. Correct. Yeah. Appalachian Trail Conservancy is there, which is the headquarters of the Appalachian Trail. Right. And that comes right through Harper's Ferry. So, yeah, that was probably and, my favorite part about living there was talking to the through hikers. Yeah. Yeah. Because there are about, there are thousands who come through, only a few hundred finish. We had a guy on our show a few weeks back who ran the trail. He just finished. He finished in the top 10. A guy from Cincinnati, that's Harvey a, Lewis is incredible. his name. What and was his he name? Did it in Harvey Lewis. Harvey Lewis. And he did it in, I don't know, 50 days, 49 days. Jesus or so. It's because it's usually done in about six uh. months, four to six months. And we had him on the show with a cell phone, literally running, and it was 7.38 at night, because he ran until about 10.30 at night. And then he would sleep, get up in the morning, and hit the trail again. So he was, uh, yeah, it was, it's a good story. Crazy. It's crazy, crazy. yeah. <laughs> Tim, we're gonna, we're gonna see if we can get you to come back again for another you show, and we'll hear another you song. Real would you take you, us out on Down by the Riverside? Tim Lancaster is his name. Tell us where people can hear your music and mention your latest album. Yeah, so my album is called Stones, Rivers, and Trains. It's available on Spotify. You can listen to it there if you're a member um, and any other platform. Yep. Um, and then you can find me easiest probably at facebook.com backslash Tim Lancaster. Okay, T-I-M and then T -I -M. just L-A-N-C-A-S-T-E-R. Yep, just like as the town. It sounds. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, Tim Lancaster doing Down by the Riverside, uh, Jerry Springer on the second verse. Yeah, it's I'll always be, an adventure. I'll Jerry be playing my in. old bones. Jerry's going <laughs> to play the bones. <laughs> Is the key a G fine, Jerry? Yeah, he doesn't yeah, know yeah. the difference. He doesn't know the L sharp. <laughs> B flat. Sword and shield, down by 
by the riverside. You've been listening to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song, and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. Study.